praise his name. We declare his identity in our lives. Amen? Waymaker, promise keeper, light in the darkness. My God, praise his name. I know whom I have believed. It is well with my soul. Praise his glorious name. What a delight to be gathered together this morning. Amen? Welcome to church. I'm so glad you're here. My name's Pastor Roger. Welcome to those who are listening online uh, through our Facebook or podcast or website. Welcome. Glad you are here. I am so excited about our fall semester. Next week, we're starting into Get Connected. This is a two-week look at the impact of Romans chapter 12 on our relationship with our God and on our relationship with our community. And then in three weeks, as you know, our community fun fest where we get to celebrate connecting with our community and with each other. What the heck is going on over there? Oh, Hanford. I love you, good brother. He is a good brother. Let me tell you, if you don't know him, meet him after service. He's a good brother. Our community fun fest, we get to connect with each other, and then that's going to lead us right into our fall series, Unshakable, which is thriving no matter what hits you. And this is an eight-week group connection where our weekly meetings will explore the Sunday teaching. We are all about where love and purpose meet. God's love for us and his purpose for us. And so I'm very excited about what this fall has to offer. And certainly, we want his perspective, which just so happens to be the title of our series, uh, His Perspective. I am so excited to be preaching from Philippians chapter 4 today. Today we are concluding our four-week look at the book of the Bible um, in Philippians, uh, Perspective. And so I've called this one Four for Four. And the reason I've done that, four concepts coming from Philippians chapter 4. I have got this new love for this book. This past four weeks has been amazing looking into the scriptures. And as I studied this final chapter, I felt that God gave me some insight into how this chapter was broken down. Four for four. And so here they are. Play well, pray well, live well, give well. And I love patterns. And so when God shows me one in Scripture, I feel doubly blessed. And so I hope that you will be doubly blessed as well. In fact, I know you will be as you apply these principles to your life. Play well, pray well, live well, give well. You can't afford not to apply these principles to your life. The Bible is good for whatever ails you. And I love the way that Eugene Peterson renders Philippians chapter 4 in the message to get that feeling for what the Apostle Paul was driving at when he wrote this all those years ago. He says this, My dear, dear friends, I love you so much. I do want the very best for you. You make me feel such joy. You fill me with such pride. Don't waver. Stay on track, steady in God. I urge Euodia and Sintish to iron out their differences and make up. God doesn't want his children holding grudges. And oh yes, oh this guy, uh, Sizagus. Let's just call him Gus, all right? Some of these weird Bible names. Gus, 
Since you're right there to help them work things out, do your best with them. These women, they worked for the message hand in hand with Clement and me and with the other veterans. Worked as hard as any of us. Remember, their names are also in the book of life. Celebrate God all day, every day. Revel in him. And that's just another way of saying rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say rejoice. Verse 5, make it as clear as you can to all you meet that you are on their side, working with them and not against them. Help them to see that the master is about to arrive. He could show up any minute. And so Paul is urging some friends to make up, to get along, to iron out their differences, and he's pleading with them to agree with each other in the Lord. And he enlists the help of some loyal friends. Help them see eye to eye. Their names, after all, are written in the Lamb's Book of Life. They are sisters in the Lord, women who help Paul in the cause of the gospel. But they're not quite getting along. What? Christians not getting along? Have you ever heard of such a thing? I can't believe that. Imagine that. Euodia and Sintish, they needed the perspective of Gus to help them out. You may need the perspective of a friend, of somebody else, to help you out, to see things from a different perspective. As wonderful as we all are, we may need the help of each other to play well. It puts me in mind of some friends that, uh, that I have who weren't quite seeing things eye to eye. And yet they were courageous enough uh, to talk about it, to go there. And so as they engaged in this conversation, the one fella, he said uh, that he actually felt quite disrespected. And she was like, oh, I, I don't mean any disrespect at all. And, and I was an observer. And so I was able to offer them an objective perspective based on what I witnessed in their interaction. And I was able to say to him, you know, there, there really was no disrespect. Your, your feelings are betraying you. And she was just, you know, finally getting honest about what she was feeling and, and, and got vulnerable and, and ventured out and saying something that we knew had the potential to hurt you. It required teamwork. It certainly required some courage to engage in what we all knew would be an uncomfortable conversation. But it was for the ultimate good. And for me, that is how we play well. I will bet that you can all think of instances with family, uh, with friends, that uh, they disagree. They don't quite see eye to eye. They misinterpret some words or some actions. Perhaps they even assign attitudes that really aren't there. Or they jump to conclusions. Some families jump into conclusions is the only exercise they ever get. <laughs> I thought of that one all by myself. <laughs> yeah. so. Now, many of you know that I am not a sports guy. I don't follow any teams, I don't know the rules of the game, but I'll tell you, I do love a good sports movie. I love the sports movies. And so we just watched The Blind Side the other week. Now I know it's not really a sports movie, but it's, it's got the sports theme. But how about Remember the Titans? 
Like, what a good one. Talk about playing well and team dynamics and all that kind of stuff. Even Mighty Ducks. Like, there's, there's even some, some good stuff in there. Well, one of the points in many of these movies, as well as in uh, the, Paul's letter to the Philippians, is that we're on the same team. So let us work together and get along. Play well. Got it? So you'll do it? Yes, pastor. I will play well with others. We're back. One of the rules in kindergarten, okay? So, okay. Now, there is another aspect of this that I want us to explore. It's a little bit of a tangent, but it's important to me. I am intrigued by this concept of play, playing well. Last Sunday, Pastor Eric spoke about Philippians 3, and he unpacked what it means to rejoice in the Lord, and he said this, God is playful, and that we all needed to be a little more playful. And that really caught my attention when he said that, and especially so because of this. Just a few days before that, a friend told me that he felt God the Father wanted him to play with him, and that he needed to consider this friendship aspect of their uh, relationship. And he also drew a parallel to what was happening on site at Sea Road. The gift of this play structure to our facility and to our mission is an example in the earthly of what God may be saying to us from the heavenlies. We pray, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And there is that connection. I often think that sometimes in the earthly, there's a parallel to what's going on in the heavenlies. Think of Jesus' words about being childlike. Jesus said this, let the little children come to me and do not hinder them, for the kingdom of heaven belongs to such as these. We are to receive the kingdom as a little child. The freedom and the joy that children experience on a play structure, for instance, is the type of freedom and joy that our Heavenly Father wants us How do you like that for a perspective? I like that perspective. One of my grandsons, he is almost four years old, and he says this, Opa, will you come and play with me? How can you say no to that? That wonderful voice, that wonderful invitation. And it's all about being together. And it really is a picture of our Heavenly Father just wanting to be with His children, just to be together. I got an email last night about this play structure. This woman's sister happened to be in our service when we made that announcement a couple weeks ago, and she said, well, we've got that at our church, and the number of families that connect from the community to our church when they need it, it's tremendous. It's a wonderful mission. And then, last night, so I, I read that around 8 p.m., around 9, I'm watching the movie um, The Legend of Beggar Vance, and the, narr the narrator says this, they say that God is happiest when his children are at play. I had a little freak out right there because I knew what I was preaching. I, I paused the movie, I rewound it, uh, and I wrote it out, obviously, and I inserted it here. God delights in his children, and perhaps you need that reminder today. 
God delights in you, in you. Another congregant in these past two weeks dropped in to see me, and we chatted a little bit about people's beliefs and their attitudes about themselves, and he said, Pastor, so many people tell me, well, you don't know what I've done. I don't think God could really forgive me. And we kind of lamented that that was where their thought pattern was, that they didn't believe the truth, that God loves you, you are not too far gone. And what he said to me, he says, I tell them, Pastor, it doesn't matter how rotten your past is. God loves you. You are not too far gone. Consider perspective. You are not too far gone. And I think we ought to take authority to crush the lies of the enemy. Paul the Apostle, he said this to some other friends. He said this, though we live in the world, we do not wage war as the world does. The weapons we fight with are not the weapons of the world. On the contrary, they have divine power to demolish strongholds. We demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God. And we take captive every thought and we make it obedient to Christ. You are not too far gone. That is a lie of the enemy. You get to play well with your creator, the God who made you. And Paul's sentiment to the Corinthian church is repeated here to the Philippian church. It was a different context and application. I get that. But the principle is the same. It's about how and what we think. Know that our Heavenly Father delights in us and He wants us to get along, to play well. Let's go on to our next point. Pray well. Paul says this starting at verse 6. Don't fret or worry. Instead of worrying, pray. Let petitions and praises shape your worries into prayers, letting God know your concerns. Before you know it, a sense of God's wholeness, everything coming together for good, will come and settle you down. It's wonderful what happens when Christ displaces worry at the center of your life. And then Paul continues in verse 8, summing it all up, friends. I'd say you'll do best by filling your minds and meditating on things true, noble, reputable, authentic, compelling, gracious, the best, not the worst, the beautiful, not the ugly, things to praise, not things to curse. Put it into practice what you learned from me, what you heard and saw and realized. Do that, and God, who makes everything work together, will work you into his most excellent harmonies. I love his rendering. In the NIV, it says the God of peace will be with you. Pray well. Do not be anxious about anything, but rather pray. Now, I don't know if this was an encouragement from Paul, or if it was advice from him, or if it was a command to the church, but whatever it was, I'm afraid I have to say, yikes, help me, Jesus, with this one. Be anxious for nothing. Don't be anxious about anything. Well, what about when Julie is late from work? Her shift is over. Okay, uh, did, was she going to go shopping? Maybe she went over to the grandsons. Uh, the weather 
isn't that bad out there. Did she say something about the car making a weird, oh my gosh, she's in a ditch. Oh, and my thought life goes there, and I've got the funeral planned. I'm like, okay, what casket should I pick out? What will I layer out in? Which outfit? Will my daughter want her jewelry? Uh, what am I going to do with all her stuff? Uh, who will be the pallbearers? Who's, who's going to do the eulogy? Who's going to preach? And, and that's where my thought goes, or used to. And then I hear the automatic garage door. Oh, thank you, Jesus, she's alive. She's home. Be anxious for nothing. Other anxieties. Did I say the right thing? Be anxious for nothing. In verse 6, do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. So what I have learned to do when I'm starting to feel anxious is say, thank you, God, that Julie is in your care. Thank you, God, that you love her way more than I could. Thank you, God, that you have got our best interests at heart, that we can trust you with anything and with everything. Whatever happens in our lives, you are still God. I thank you, God, that. And you fill in the blank. So next time you're anxious, will you pray with thanksgiving? Yes, pastor, I will pray with thanksgiving. Yes, I will pray well. Pray well. Well, and then fill your mind with the best. Empty it of the worst and fill it with the best. I think our minds are a little bit like a yogurt container. My neighbor up the street several doors takes a yogurt container and, and she plucks the rose petals from her garden and fills that up and takes it inside and does whatever she does, potpourri or whatever with it. And, and you know, you smell that and it's lovely. I had a yogurt container one fall it was for slugs. One fall, I had this terrible infestation down the side of my house, and every morning before I come to work, I would pick up all these slugs that were eating all my stuff. Honestly, I could fill that thing up. One day, I counted like 80, and then the next day, it was another 80. It was ridiculous, this infestation. Well, my other neighbor, she comes over, and she says, what have you got there? Oh, you really want to see what's in here? So I show her, and she says, cool. Can I have those? I'm teaching a life sciences thing in my kindergarten class, and I'm like, sure, you can have it, you know. Next day I'm out, I'm collecting them. I put the lid on because I take them to the back 40, and I dump them. Well, this time I forgot. So you can imagine the next day what terrible mess that is. Our minds are like yogurt containers. Which one do you want, the rose petals or the dead slugs? You know, what container would you prefer? Make your mind like the good one. For me, that is praying well, whatever things we take in. So let's get back to Paul. Paul knows what he is talking about. He says this in verse 9. Whatever you have learned or received or heard from me or seen in me, put it into practice. And the God of peace will be with you. Remember this. Paul is a prisoner. He's writing this. He's chained up to a guard 24-7 under house arrest. Paul is no armchair theologian. He is no ivory tower academic. He is living what he's preaching. And Paul would have to pray well. 
If you've missed the previous weeks, Paul was arrested for preaching the gospel. He was under house arrest, chained 24 hours a day to a Roman soldier, and he was waiting for the sentence that could condemn him to death. At any moment, he could find out, well, they're going to behead you. Your time is up. And he wanted to take the gospel forward, but he was awaiting what could be the worst news of his life. Now, if anyone could have worried, it would have been Paul. But Paul had a different perspective on God. He was teaching us to play well, pray well, and now live well. It's in verse 10. I rejoiced greatly in the Lord that at last you renewed your concern for me. Indeed, you were concerned, but you had no opportunity to show it. I'm not saying this because I'm in need, for I have learned to be content, whatever the circumstances. I know what it is to be in need, and I know what it is to have plenty. I've learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry whether living in plenty or in want. I can do this through him who gives me strength. To live well is to be content whatever the circumstances, rain or shine, well-fed or hungry, popular or not, remembered or forgotten, whatever the circumstance, whatever the diagnosis, whatever the living conditions, on death row or not, if you're chained to a guard or free, I will still be content. Again, his perspective truly is about a state of mind and not a circumstance. And somehow the joy of the Lord made him strong. And one preacher said it this way of Paul's attitude. It doesn't matter what I have or don't have. Because of my perspective, because I've seen his goodness, because I've heard his voice, because I have experienced his presence in the greatest trials, because he's never left me and never forsaken me, because his love is better than life. He says, hey, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. We got that in Philippians 1 a couple weeks ago. My life is not mine. I am hidden with God in Christ. And when you look at me, you don't see me. I want you to see the Lord because I am in the Lord. I don't have to worry because it's not about me and it's not about my job and it's not about my money and it's not about my relationships and it's not about my health. Guess what? Because I've given it all to the Lord. My health is in him. My life is in him. My security is in him. My relationships, they're for him and my provision is in him. It's not in my ability to control so I can't worry. I don't have to worry. My life is in the Lord. I can rejoice, not in the circumstance, but in spite of the circumstance. How? How do I rejoice? I rejoice in the Lord. In the Lord, not in the circumstance. Whether living in plenty or in want, whether having everything just the way I want it, or being chained up to a Roman guard. I can rejoice in the Lord because I know that God is working all things to bring about good to those who love him and are called according to his purpose. You see, it is a different perspective. I don't have to worry because my life is hidden in Christ Jesus. He will meet all of my needs because he is Lord of all. And so I say this, 
We can have the same conviction that Paul the Apostle had. The joy of the Lord actually is my strength. Rejoice in the Lord. Again, I say rejoice. Can someone risk an amen? <laughs> Thank you. Appreciate it. Well-fed or hungry, plenty or not, living well has nothing to do with our bank account. It has everything to do with our heaven account. How do you like that one? I thought of that one myself, too. <laughs> I can rejoice because I have got Jesus, and he's got me. He's got my back. He's got my eternity. He has got my forever all sewn up. Hallelujah. I can live well. And so let me ask you, will you live well? Yes, pastor, I will live well. Wonderful. I can do all things through him who gives me strength. Paul teaches us to play well, pray well, live well, and finally give well. It's in verse 14. He says, I don't mean that your help didn't mean a lot to me. It did. It was a beautiful thing that you came alongside me in my troubles. You Philippians well know, and you can be sure I'll never forget it, that when I first left Macedonia province, venturing out with the message, not one church helped out in the give and take of this work, except you. You were the only one. Even while I was in Thessalonica, you helped out. And not only once, but twice. Not that I'm looking for handouts, but I do want you to experience the blessing that issues from generosity. Give well. Experience the blessing that issues from generosity. And he says in verse 18, And now I have it all, and I keep getting more. The gifts you sent with Epaphroditus were more than enough, like a sweet-smelling sacrifice roasting on the altar, filling the air with fragrance, pleasing God to no end. And you can be sure that God will take care of everything you need, his generosity exceeding even yours in the glory that pours from Jesus. Our God and Father abounds in glory that just pours out into eternity. Give well. Where there is need, give. Be it supplies or time or a word of encouragement, labor, material goods, whatever your talent, whatever your resources. And know this, God's generosity will exceed even yours. Paul was content in every circumstance because the joy of the Lord was his strength. And yet he recognized the value of God's people behaving in God's ways. A generous God fathers generous children. And it's not just for the benefits of the recipients of those in need, but it's also for the blessing that comes from being generous. So let me ask you, will you give well? Yes, pastor, we will give well. Oh, you guys are awesome. May you know the blessing that manifests as a joy in God's people. I'm going to ask you to stand with me. May we play well, getting along and understanding that our God delights in us. Let that blessing manifest as truth in the place of any lie that you believe. Celebrate God all day, every day. Just 
revel in him. And may we pray well. Do not fret or worry. Let petitions and praises shape your worries into prayers. And may we live well. Let that blessing manifest as contentment in all things. And may we give well and let that blessing manifest as God's generosity among his people. You can't afford not to apply these principles to your life. May our perspective be his perspective for his name's sake. Amen?